Hello, and welcome to another episode of Serendipity Girl. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm on a quest to discover things that are not only true, but are also noble, excellent, and praiseworthy. And I'm so glad that you have joined in. Well, I'm really excited to share with you in what I hope is going to be a brief episode, and I'm working on this, y'all, about something that I learned when I was spending some time thinking about needs. You know, needs are something that we all have, and I know it seems like it's kind of selfish to talk about it sometimes, but it's reality. We do all have needs, and the whole world knows it, specifically people like advertisers who want to sell their products. Uh, A good advertiser makes it a science of knowing what your needs are. They will study people in demographics. They will study and they will spend lots of time thinking about what are your needs and how can I create a problem or make you think there's a problem and set you up for a product or a service or something that I want to sell. And they build whole companies that that do nothing but advertise and they spend lots of money on advertising. They go where the people are And we don't watch as much TV with with commercials. We've figured out a way to get around the commercials for the most part. So now when you stream things, sometimes they make you watch ads. But if they can't get those ads to you that way, they're going to get them to you on YouTube, on Facebook. It's kind of uh, creepy how much they're stalking us on social media. In fact, I watched... A documentary, one of the highest, most viewed documentaries out there called The Social Dilemma, where people from social media companies were quitting because they didn't like how much uh, companies were creeping and stalking us to find out what we're doing on social media. They know how old you are. They know what gender you are. They know what your interests are. They know down to a science how long you spend interacting, they call it engaging, with a post that your friend has sent or that a company has sent. So then they start sending you ads. And I have friends that swear by it and I'm starting to wonder myself, They'll say, you know, I was talking about kayaks the other day, about wanting to buy a kayak. And then all of a sudden in my Facebook feed comes all these ads for, you guess it, kayaks, outdoor companies. All of a sudden, all of my ads, I can tell you, I was personally listening to my playlist of videos. I was working in my closet listen to a playlist of videos and they don't know that I'm not watching um but I was listening and they kind of make you listen to an ad in between each and every song that's a little annoying but 
there was an ad for some doctor. And of course, he's a doctor. You're going to listen to him, right? And he's had a practice for a very long time. They all have. And and I'm not down on doctors. I have a good friend who's a pediatrician, one of the best in our city. But um, they take forever, not doctors, but the people that do these ads. There was an ad about uh, how he's trying to lose weight, how he lost 70 pounds. Well, he had my attention. And uh, I'm working in my closet listening and... It takes them about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes before they really get into what they're trying to sell you. But they don't tell you immediately because they're setting you up. They're setting up the need. They've identified a need that you have and then they set you up. And then 25, 30 minutes in, turns out he's made a special kind of olive oil because this dude was drinking, you know, large vats of olive oil to lose weight. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So he's created a special olive oil that has the polyphenols or whatever that you need to lose weight. Well, YouTube was noticing how long I'm listening to this. Guess what all the ads were from then on out? All ads about losing weight. Losing weight, losing weight. It's like YouTube was like, hey, you fat. You need to lose weight. (laughs) Well, that's because they were noticing how much I was engaging with this one ad. So, you've got advertisers promising you that they're going to meet your needs. Then you've got stores, like online stores. And I know with COVID and everything, we all couldn't really shop the way we wanted. But, you know, for the most part, many of us, we're we're out at the stores again. But now it's so convenient. They can meet your needs so fast. And I don't want to throw Americans under the bus, but we are not known for being patient. We're just not. And with all the technologies and everything, we've just gotten worse and worse about waiting for anything. I mean, if I pull through a drive-thru and I have to wait more than five minutes to get hot, fresh food from a a smiling teenager or a college person, well, you know, who knows? I might turn into a Karen, which is what my children tell me, do not be. Do not be rude to these young, fresh-scrubbed people that are trying to serve you food. Just because you're hangry, we even have a, a term for it. I have a need. I'm hungry. And it is not being met fast enough. So I'm getting angry. I'm hangry. And then we go all Karen on people. And then we laugh when the Karens don't put their car in park. And they're going all Karen on somebody. And their car goes rolling off. And everybody's like, instant karma. Yeah, I'm watching too much social media, apparently. But... um We all want our needs met really quickly. And the stores, this one online store that I think is out to rule the world. I mean, they're buying everything. And I'm thinking sometimes I need to stop giving them my business, but they make it so easy. Because now it used to be you would wait a week. Oh, but then it was you wait two days. If you're a special member and you pay a fee, an annual fee, you can get everything in two days. Oh, but wait, we'll send this to you in one day. Oh, but wait, this item you can get in two to four hours. Yeah, I ordered mascara. I want to know the executive who sat in that company's meeting and said, women need their mascara in two hours or they're just going to turn into Karens and go crazy, go loco on you. If they don't have their mascara, I feel kind of guilty with petroleum products like gas as high as they are ordering something that thinks I need mascara, a company that thinks I need mascara in two hours. 
How about baby formula? That might be a little more important than mascara. But I'm like, okay, if you want to send a truck out with mascara in two to four hours, I'll let you. And then I felt kind of guilty about it. So it's not only the advertisers and the stores that are telling you, we will meet your needs and we will do it faster than the other guy. What about the intangible needs? Well, it's an election year. You've got politicians and some of them, if you listen to what they're promising, you will never have another need again. One person's ad was, vote for this person because they help people. I'm like, oh, do tell. What are they going to do to help me? Will they come to my house and wash my dishes? Will they wash my car? Will they help me make dinner? How are they going to help me? And the ad never tells how they're going to help you. That's by design. (laughs) There was an ad a few years ago that got a president elected on a very vague, vague, vague promise. Hope and change. And I'm not picking on anybody's political party because we know that all the parties do it. But hope and change. And there were people, experts out there saying, that's a brilliant ad. Yes, it was. Because... Define for me what this hope and change is. Define for me how you're going to help me and what are our needs that we think the government is going to fill for us. (laughs) They're just going to do everything for us and we're going to give them all our money and then they're going to do everything for us. Wow, what a deal. (laughs) Which is why they spend all this money on campaigning. One, One guy's ad is, I know you elected me two years ago. Well, don't don't look at what I've done because, well, you didn't think I was going to solve all the problems immediately, did you? <laughs> that that That's not a good starting point with me. <laughs> well, I just need more time. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> what you been doing for two years? <laughs> Some people have been there for 20 or 30 years. They're going to die in Congress. They're going to carry them out feet first. So... Heading back to the positive side of the pool, we have needs, and we've got lots of people promising to meet those needs, but what do you do about things like you want a child? And and I know this is a heartbreaking subject. I've had friends who did everything they could, even did in vitro, to have a child, and it failed. It failed. But I've also heard happy stories of people who, who gave up on having a biological child and they adopted a child. And then all of a sudden, guess what? They got pregnant. I've heard happy stories. Maybe that's your story or maybe you're waiting for a child and it breaks your heart. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse. You're just waiting for someone who's going to love you and When they say forever, till death do us part, they actually mean it. No matter how rough it gets. Can a store help you with that? No. Dating apps can't even necessarily. I I know someone who has tried several dating apps and they're still looking for Mr. Right. So... What do we do about the needs that you can't just go to a store? You can't just elect a politician. What do you do about those? 
Maybe you need to be delivered from something. Maybe you have an addiction. What do you depend on? Some people go to alcohol. Some people go to drugs. I know I've never met a Coca-Cola I didn't like. And I have the weight to prove it. Fast food. They don't call it comfort food for nothing. Where do you go? Who do you trust? What do you trust in? Yourself? Others? How's that working for you? Because you know what? People are going to let you down. We let people down. We can't expect anyone, not even our spouses or our parents or our children, to do it right all the time. We're human and we sin and we blow it. And you know what? I have a relative that lost their life because they turned to an addiction because it promised them happiness. And it did while they were high. But as the drug dealers know, and that's why it's such a big business, at least in our country, well, they are finding ways to get into our country if they're not already here so they can hook more people and make more addicts. You know why? Because one hit doesn't work. It creates a need for more and more and more. So who do you depend on to meet your needs? Yourself? How's that working for you? Others? How's that working for you? Let's talk about God. Can we depend on Him? And of course, I'm a Jesus girl, so I'm talking about Jesus slash Jehovah. Well, I learned about a name for God, El Shaddai. God likes to describe Himself in lots of ways, and in the Old Testament, He used a lot of phrases in the Hebrew to describe Himself. One of them is El Shaddai, and one definition is the Lord God Almighty. And the word Shaddai is is somewhat related to a Hebrew word that means mountain. So you can kind of see that. He's he's almighty. He's all-powerful. When we look at a mountain, we see strength, don't we? You can't just, you know, go and move a mountain unless Jesus wants you to. But mountains, they look pretty immovable, don't they? They look like they're a source of strength. You know, they're rock. They're strong. It's not just going to crumble, you know? So one definition of El Shaddai is the Lord God Almighty. And He is Lord, which means He's in control. And He is God, which means that He's holy and He's perfect. And you can trust Him. Because if you had all that power and control, because He's Almighty... Can you trust a God who has all the power and all the control, but he's evil? And I'm thinking like the Greek and the Roman gods who were very capricious. And I I think they're fictitious, but people believed in them. But at the same time, they were kind of just like glorified human beings who could just zap you if they got angry with you. So you feared them. Do you believe in a God? that you trust or is he someone you fear and I'm not talking about awe and reverence we should have a holy fear of God because we know what he can do we know what he can do but he doesn't want us to be afraid of him 
because he sent his son who is also God, Jesus. And there's, it's one God, but he takes the form of three persons. And you might say, that sounds a little crazy. Well, when's the last time you drank some water or put some ice in it or saw some steam because it was a hot day and the water was evaporating? Same chemical element, H2O. It exists. It's one chemical element, but it exists in three forms. Water, when it gets cold, it becomes a solid, ice. When it gets hot, it becomes a vapor, steam. We accept that readily, don't we? So, El Shaddai. Not only does it mean the Lord God Almighty, but it also means the all-sufficient one. And they get that from the fact that it's very similar to the Hebrew word shad, which means breast, which the connotation is that a mother nurtures her child when she nurses her child, that everything in a mother's milk, that's everything that that baby needs. And so when you marry these two definitions together, because Hebrew scholars differ a little bit. Some of them say, well, it means that he's the all-sufficient one because they're going with the, the mother's milk definition. Shad, Shaddai is very similar to Shad. And then others say, well, he's the Lord God Almighty because Shaddai is very similar to the Hebrew word for mountain. And then some people said, wait a minute, guys, girls, it's both. El Shaddai is the God who is the one who is more than enough for any need you ever have because he is not only the Lord God Almighty, but he's the all-sufficient one. And when I went digging into the Bible to see where this phrase is used, it is all over the book of Genesis. You may have heard about something called the Abrahamic Covenant. That was a big promise that God made to a man named Abraham, and then to his son Isaac, and then to his grandson Jacob, whose name was changed to become Israel, from which we get the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the Jewish forefathers of the nation of Israel. And God tapped a man named Abraham. His name was Abram. He was living in modern-day Iraq, and God tapped him and said, I want you to leave your country, leave all that's familiar, grab your family, which was his wife and some other members of his family. Uh, He had a nephew named Lot and a brother named Haran, and I think his father was Terah. But anyway, he had no children. That's very important for you to remember. And God said, I'm God. I'm your God. Leave your former religion, which was, he believed in multiple gods, I believe. And he said, leave it. Leave your country. Leave all that's familiar. And Abe has just met God. It would take a lot of faith to do that. And that's why he's revered for his faith because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as Romans tells us in the New Testament. 
So he left his country, didn't know where he was going. His wife, Sarah, had a lot of faith, too. She was following Abe, who was following this God he had just met. And he made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you a land, which we know is Israel. And I'm going to give you a people, which is a really big promise, considering Sarah was barren. She could not have children to save her life. And that was a really big heartache for her, especially in that Middle Eastern society where women who didn't have children were considered to be cursed by God. And they didn't feel very loved by God. They felt ridiculed by the other women in society. And to some extent, there are women who still feel that way now. They wonder. So if, if that's you, I want to tell you, God loves you. And I've, I've heard of women who, who gave up on having children They adopted, and then they got pregnant. And then I've heard of women who went on to become mothers in a a way to other people's children. They became teachers, and they had such a great impact on other people's lives. And they didn't have children that were biological, but they had lots of kids that looked up to them and learned from them. So... That's a big promise that God made Abram when he told him and Sarah, you're going to have a people, descendants so many you can't count them. And all the world is going to be blessed through you, which we ultimately know was fulfilled when God sent the Messiah, Yeshua, who we call Jesus. That was the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Because we've all been blessed through Abraham's line because Jesus came through that line and fulfilled that promise. So he promised him a land, a people, and a blessing. And he had no children. And Abraham would go on and wait for 25 years. Abraham and Sarah would wait on God for 25 years. Now, that's a long time, y'all. And God would appear to him again and reiterate this promise to him. And every time he appeared to Abraham, well, maybe not every time, but in certain times in Genesis, Genesis 17, 1, when he promises a son to Abraham and he reminds him of the covenant he had made with him earlier, he says, I am El Shaddai, the one who is more than enough to meet all your needs, the all-sufficient one, the Lord God Almighty. And then later in Genesis 28, verse 3, by this time, God has given Abraham a son named Isaac through Sarah when she was a hundred years. No, she was 90 and Abraham was a hundred years old. And they, and God gave them Isaac. And Abraham reminds, actually, yes, he reminds his son as Isaac's going off to look for a wife Actually, I've got it wrong. It was Isaac who had grown up by this point and had had a son named Jacob. And he's reminding his son, Jacob, who is Abraham's grandson. He's saying, may El Shaddai bless you. And he reiterates the promise. This promise was a big deal. And when Jacob, later in Genesis 43 verse 14 reminds his sons who have had to go off to Egypt during a famine 
and they have found out that one of their brothers, who they, uh, who the father thought was dead because the stepbrothers didn't like Joseph very much, and you can read about that in Genesis, they trafficked him, and he ended up in Egypt as a slave. He got in prison for things he didn't do, and then God puts him there to save everyone because there was a worldwide famine coming that lasted, I believe, I don't know how long it lasted, but I know for seven years they saved up grain because God put Joseph there. And so when um, Jacob was telling his sons, go ahead, go back to Egypt where Joseph is. And at this point, he didn't know it was Joseph. He just knew it was the Pharaoh's uh, man in charge. And... Joseph asked for Benjamin to come because that was his blood brother, his only blood brother. The rest were stepbrothers. And so Jacob is scared because he's lost Joseph. As far as he knows, Joseph is dead. And so it's very scary for him to send his sons and Benjamin, who was the son of the wife that he really, really loved the most and that's a long soap opera story that you can read about in Genesis fascinating book but he says may God Almighty El Shaddai grant you mercy and then on his deathbed when Jacob was dying because he himself went to Egypt eventually that's how all the Israelites got to Egypt it was during the famine they all came down to survive and this Jacob when he was on his deathbed he said to Joseph right before he died El Shaddai appeared to me and he recounted to him the promise that God had made. Because you see, in their lifetime, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in their lifetime, they never saw that promise come true. That covenant, they died before that promise came true. They, they, they died, but they still believed it because God had made a covenant. It's a very serious promise promise. And he promised them a land, a people, and a blessing. So I got to thinking about this. Why did God continually show up and use the name El Shaddai? This predates Yahweh, Jehovah, which was the name that he gave to Moses. And we all know that name because He identified himself to Moses in the burning bush as I am who I am. And it also means the self-existent one, Yahweh. Or um, Israelis like to use the term Jehovah, which is basically the same word with, I think, some vowels on it. And it's a more respectful way since the name is so holy. And that's how they show respect. But... That's not the name that God uses in all these passages in Genesis. And in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, God says in Exodus, which is when they're going to make their big exit from Egypt after being trafficked and mistreated by subsequent pharaohs for 400 years, God has taken them back to the promised land. That's why it was called the promised land, because he promised it in the Abrahamic covenant. That just dawned on me. That's why it's called the promised land, because it was a promise that he made. Every time 
God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient one, the Lord God Almighty, the one who is more than enough for you. The next thing out of his mouth, God's mouth, is he's repeating, reiterating the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. That I've never seen that before. So there's this link between El Shaddai and promises that God has made. Think about it. Why would he use that name and then talk about promises that he's made? Because he wants us to know. He knows our needs. If he's made you a promise, he's going to keep it. He's going to keep it. The timing may not be right, but it doesn't mean he's unfaithful. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died before that promise of a land, a people, and a blessing was fulfilled. Moses stood on the, the edge, edges of the promised land, and then he died, I think, on Mount Nebo. And he saw the promised land with his own eyes. So God may make promises to us, which he may or may not fulfill in our lifetime. It depends on what the promise is. But if he makes the promise, there's a Bible verse, and I don't know where it is. Somebody can tell me. Um, You can comment on the Facebook group, Serendipity Girl Podcast Lovers. You can comment if you know where this verse is. I can go and look it up, but I'd love to have you guys participate. I would love to hear from you. But it says in the Bible, all the promises are yes in Jesus. See, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of pretty much every promise that God has made. And what I think God wants us to know I don't think this El Shaddai name is only good for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and for people who are counting on the Abrahamic covenant because like I said, we've all been blessed. The whole world has been blessed. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant through Jesus. And it says in the Bible that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Messiah, Yeshua, as your Messiah, whether you were Jewish or a Gentile, that was the big mystery. It doesn't matter. This is not just a promise to Israelis. He's made it to the whole world, which blew the disciples' minds. But once they got a hang of it, they're like, okay. And they were all over it. And they went all over the world, like Jesus told them to, to tell people about the good news, that there is a Savior. He died on the cross for you and me. He paid for our sins. He is the only way. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't live X number of times and be reincarnated until you get good enough and escape karma and head to nirvana. Don't mean to step on toes, but I'm a Jesus girl. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, not one of the ways. I am the truth, not one of the truths. The truth is the truth. There's not many different kinds of truth. Two plus two is four. It's not 3.1 or 5.2 or whatever I identify two plus two to be. We don't get to decide what the truth is. The truth is the truth. It exists apart from us. Two plus two is four. Three plus one is four. It's not 5.2. And 
Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to deal with that. Because if he is the way, you can't say Jesus is just a good man, or he's a prophet, but he's superseded by Muhammad or, or by Joseph Smith, because God was laying around for 1,800 years and then decided, oh, I think I'll write some more of the Bible. I know I'm stepping on toes. I'm sorry. And I don't mean to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But no, God was not just sitting around for 1,800 years. And then all of a sudden there was an extra testament of the Bible just lying around in America somewhere. That was entrusted to people living there at the time. No. Mm -mm. Because what's in that extra testament, the Book of Mormon, contradicts. What God has already said in the Old and the New Testament, God is not going to contradict himself. He's just not. And when people say they believe in Jesus, ask them what this Jesus is like. Because if you dig a little bit, you'll find out the Jesus they believe in, there's a thousand varieties of Jesus going around. But there's only one true Jesus, and he has revealed himself in the Bible. You got to deal with that. Because... He himself believed that he was the way, the truth, the life. No one came to the Father. No one came to heaven except through him. That's pretty exclusive. And I didn't say it. He did it. So if he said it, either he is a liar and he knows it's not true and you shouldn't say he's a good man and you shouldn't quote him or think he's, oh, gentle Jesus, loving Jesus, or he was a lunatic and he thought he was God and he shouldn't worship someone who's crazy and thinks they're God. Or he really is Lord. And he's the only God that's died and come back to life. And the Bible is full of eyewitness accounts. The New Testament is eyewitness accounts of people living at the time that either wrote about it personally or they were like an investigative journalist and there is a good book on that um lee strobel the case for christ he was i believe an atheistic attorney who set out to prove that all of this christianity stuff was a hoax and was wrong and guess what he became a christian <laughs> while he was trying to prove it all wrong so what i want to leave you with is whatever your need is God has made promises. If you read the Bible, you get a highlighter. I like to get a, a pink highlighter. That's just my color for promises. I like to highlight the Bible. It's okay to highlight and write in the Bible. If it helps you remember what it says, what he says, highlight all the promises or go by the store and get a order, order you a, a Bible promise book. There's so many promises that God has made, but the biggest one he's made. Um, besides being our El Shaddai, the one who is more than enough, the all-sufficient one, the Lord God Almighty, who is able to meet all of our needs in his perfect timing, if we will just trust and follow him. But more than that, he promises that anyone who puts their faith in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He has died on the cross to forgive your sins, and he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is, and he wants to be your best friend as well as your Lord in this life. 
and he wants to have a relationship with you. You can read all about it in the book of John that you can Google. So that's that's it for now, but I hope you have a wonderful serendipitous day. I, I pray that you got something encouraging out of this and that you take a step towards Jesus, who is our El Shaddai. Have a wonderful serendipitous day. Until next time.